Thank you, Meredith. Well, I've entitled my sermon this morning, Motherly Characteristics. felt that was a fitting title for this morning. Um, as Meredith sung this morning, I, I thought about the word faithfulness. To me, that would be a motherly characteristic. That is something that I've learned from my mother, I've seen in my mother, and I believe is conveyed to each and every one of us through mothers. So this week I saw a video, and I was, it was a video about how mothers are the superheroes of our generation, and um, they're the only hero that will be able to save our generation. And I believe that word faithfulness actually has something to do with that, that faithfulness if we can learn what faithfulness is, that if we can come to understand the faithfulness of God in our lives and how we can return that faithfulness back to God, how we can live in line with that, that that's what will save this generation. And again, if that faithfulness is given to us through motherhood, if we see that through motherhood, I would indeed agree that the modern mom is probably one of the ways or probably the only superhero that could save our generation. So what I want to do today in my message is move away from what we have been talking about with the corporate body details, the one body, the one new man, and instead highlight a certain member of the body. In honor and celebration of not only mothers, but also the motherly characteristics that we read about in Scripture, and those characteristics we see and understand in the plans and purposes of our God, I believe today to be a fitting day to focus on those details. To, our, to the mothers present here this morning, I want to make sure I say Happy Mother's Day. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for what you have done to raise up a generation, and please continue to do so. We have a small gift that you will receive upon leaving the service this morning for those mothers that are here, and also um, any woman can also receive a gift in the hallway as well. I must say something before I get into the details of my message this morning. A couple days ago, I was doing a reading in regards to preaching a sermon on Mother's Day. You know, I, I wanted to find some inspiration. I wanted to learn a little bit. Again, I could just look to my mother and gain multitude of inspiration. But I wanted to kind of see where our culture is at. What is contemporary culture saying about Mother's Day? And what is a pastor supposed to say on Mother's Day? And unfortunately, I came across a blog that spoke against celebrating Mother's Day in the church for all sorts of reasons. For example, it's not celebrated in the Bible to which I would respond, neither is your birthday. Um, for some, they said Mother's Day brings bad feelings and thoughts, and Sister Meredith talked about that this morning, and I do believe that's an area where we need to be gentle. It's something that we do need to talk about. However, I don't believe anybody in our culture would say that we shouldn't be lifting up mothers and, and kind of exalting motherhood and praying that mothers would raise godly children, that mothers, that we can, as men, women, that we can encourage mothers um, to raise up godly children, that we would be a part of the body of Christ, to that, again, mothers are a part of the body of Christ, so we need to work together as men, women, children to bring God glory through his body. So again, I believe it's very important. And then one of the other reasons they said was that some are not called to motherhood. Again, I'm not called to motherhood. There's many amongst us that are not called to motherhood. But that doesn't mean that we should not highlight a certain day and see how do I play a part in Mother's Day. You see, each and every person in this room plays a part in Mother's Day. You can encourage mothers. You can pray for mothers. You can understand what motherhood is. And also what you're going to see through today is that you can come to understand God through understanding motherhood. I was very disappointed by this seeming attack on Mother's Day. We read wise words of the preacher. Many times it's said that these are the wise words of Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. And in chapter 1, he says, there is a time for everything. So again... This would be a day that we would say that there's a time for this. In a culture that seems to debase and devalue almost everything worthy of good repute, 
We need more days to celebrate the godly virtues, the things that we are called to live out in the body of believers, as well as in our personal walks and callings. So I ask you this morning, when you think of mothers in our culture, what comes to mind? When you think of your mother, what comes to mind? Furthermore, if you are a mother, whether biologically or simply raising a child, what are some necessary motherly characteristics that come to mind? What are some things that you you demand from a mother? One commentator, as I was reading this week, remarked that motherhood is one of life's highest callings. Real quickly, I just want to take you through a quick history of Mother's Day, and then I'm going to get right into my message. Celebration of mothers and motherhood can be traced back to the ancient Greeks and Romans, who held festivals in honor of their mother goddesses, Rhea and Cybele. But the clearest model for our modern precedent for Mother's Day is in the early Christian festival known as Mothering Sunday. One major tradition in the United Kingdom and parts of Europe is a celebration that fell on the fourth Sunday in Lent, and it was originally seen as a time when the faithful would return to their mother church, come home, the main church in the vicinity of their home, for a special service. Over time, the Mothering Sunday shifted to a more secular holiday. The children would present their mothers with flowers and other tokens of their appreciation. This custom eventually faded in popularity before merging with American Mother's Day in the 1930s and 1940s. The roots of the modern America's Mother's Day dates back to the 19th century. In years before the Civil War, Anne Reeves Jarvis of West Virginia helped start Mother's Day work clubs to teach local women how to properly care for their children. These clubs later became a unifying force in the region of the country, still divided over the Civil War. In 1868, Jarvis organized Mother's Friendship Day, at which mothers gathered with former Union and Confederate soldiers to promote reconciliation. Another precursor to Mother's Day came from an abolitionist and sufferer, Julia Ward Howe. In 1870, Howe wrote Mother's Day Proclamation, a call to action that asked mothers to unite in promoting world peace. In 1873, Howe campaigned for a Mother's Day Peace Day to be celebrated every June 2nd. Other early Mother's Day pioneers include Juliet Calhoun Blakely, a temperate activist who inspired local Mother's Day celebrations in Albion, Michigan in the 1870s. The duo of Mary Tolles, Sassine, and Frank Herring, meanwhile, both worked to organize a Mother's Day in the late 19th and 20th century. Some have even called Herring the father of Mother's Day. So for the first part of my message this morning, I want to highlight some of the motherly characteristics and characters that we find in Scripture. If you are a mother, I I imagine you'll find direct application from some things that I mentioned. However, let me be clear, this message is is, is for the church. This message is not just for mothers. And I believe each and every one of us will find application out of these details. None of us in life, uh, none of us in life operate out of our own calling. None of us walk on our own, or as that famous saying says, that no man is an island of his own. So all of our callings are interrelated and rely upon each other. So what I point out this morning in Scripture will have direct application for each and every one of us. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through chapter 4, verse 26, we read about the first mother in Scripture, Eve, the mother of all the living. Now, regardless to the various distinctions and differences in understanding the first couple of chapters of Genesis, which seems to be where everybody wants to focus rather on, than on the, the simple details that can be relayed through Genesis, 
We come to understand Adam and Eve as a covenant people. They are representing our heritage as the church, Adam and Eve. Adam is called to have dominion and to rule over God's creation, what we the church are called to do. He's blessed with Eve as a helper. Bless you. Right there, we see a scriptural precedent for the necessity of woman in covenant life. Again, it couldn't just be man-centered. There has to be a woman as a helper. I imagine most, if not all of us, know the story. Eve disobeys God, invites Adam into disobedience as well. And I often heard it said, women have the power to build men up or completely break them down. And that's the picture you get right there in Genesis. Eve was given as Adam's helper. She had the opportunity, the privilege, and the responsibility to either build him up and help him in his call to have dominion or to break him down and to lead him further in sin. And that's what is highlighted through the story of the fall. A very clear teaching we get from Eve, which is made by the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, is to learn from mom's mistakes. Very simply, do not be like Eve who is led by the deceit of the serpent to fall into sin. So again, right there, learn from mom's mistakes. Me, in my life, I've had ample opportunity to learn from mom's mistakes. And I've taken that as a very clear charge. In Genesis chapters 11 through 25, we read about Abraham and his wife, Sarah, who would become the mother of Isaac, the child of promise. Her submission to her husband is detailed by the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Again, right there, her calling to submit to her husband. And we see that in the story of Sarah and Abraham, how she submits to her husband, sometimes not in the right things. Again, you know, denying that she's his wife and being going over to those things. So another area, she's also seen as the mother of Israel in Isaiah chapter 51, verse 2. Very strong call. She's the first woman to be mentioned in the Hall of Fame text in Hebrews chapter 11. That's verse 11 if you're interested. Yet something that stands out about Sarah is that she struggled with her faith. There were moments where she, remember, she laughed at God, scoffed that God would make her pregnant in her later days. She had moments of doubt. However, she's also mentioned in this Hall of Fame faith, so therefore she had moments of faith. And again, I think the teaching is very simple from that, that there can be moments of doubt and there can be moments of faith. You know, and, and again, that's, that's in each and every one of our lives. If the first woman to be mentioned in the Hall of Fame had ups and downs, how much grace does that give us in our lives? To say, wow, you know, there's moments of doubt. Each and every one of us have them. And then there's moments of faith. In Genesis chapters 24 through 27, we read about Rebekah, who became the wife of Isaac and the mother of Jacob and Esau. Rebekah is highlighted in Scripture as being a rather beautiful and assertive woman. You see... This assertiveness can be a blessing and a curse. In her favor of Jacob, she helps him to deceive Isaac to give him the blessing that was supposed to be given to the firstborn. In that case, it was supposed to be given to Esau. Her action sets in in motion family strife that took quite some time to fix. So assertiveness mixed with a lack of trust or impatience can be dangerous. A name I imagine many will, will not recognize this morning right away would be Jochebed the mother of Moses. She's mentioned a few times in scripture, such as Exodus chapter 2, Exodus chapter 6, verse 20, as well as in Numbers chapter 26, verse 59. The faith and wisdom of Jochebed is astounding and is truly underappreciated in biblical literature and study. 
Again, I imagine how many people in the room knew when I said Jochebed, who is that? Knowing the sure and imminent slaughter of the Hebrew children, of Hebrew boys specifically, that occurred under the Pharaoh in that time, she took her son, put him in a basket, placed him in a river, having complete faith in the providence of God that God will work this out better than what she's seen on the horizon. How much faith does it take to put your child in a basket and say, God will handle this better than the way what, what it's looking like it's going to happen? Sure enough, she was then paid. This is the best part of that story. She was then paid to nurse for her own child, her own son. And then Pharaoh's daughter, was. she was giving this child to the Pharaoh's daughter who would raise this child in the beautiful Egyptian life. However, this was a child that was destined for slaughter, according to the Pharaoh. And prayerfully, each and every one of you know why the story of Moses becomes such a major story. And to see that amazing beginning, that all it took was a woman of faith. Just take a little bit of faith and a little bit of, a little bit of uh, understanding of the providence of God, that God will work this situation out better than I can understand it to be. And I'm just going to put him in a basket and say, God, have your will. And sure enough, we have the, the heritage to celebrate because of that amazing moment. It's hard to imagine what would have happened to the Israelites in bondage if Jochebed didn't simply walk faithfully in her faith and understanding of God. In 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 19 through 28, we read about Hannah, the mother of the prophet Samuel. She lived in a time and culture when barrenness, not being able to become pregnant, was seen as a curse from God. So Hannah found herself at the temple continually pouring herself out to God. In, in, you know, in a moment of despair, she says, I will offer a pledge. I will give you my child. And God blesses her for that willingness. Again, there's something that stands out about the story of Hannah very simply to me, and it's the truth of 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Always pray. Pray unceasingly. Hannah poured herself out before God, being willing to be at prayer at every moment, saying, if I'm willing to pledge myself to God, be at the temple day and night, that God would provide. And sure enough, he did. In 2 Samuel chapters 11 through 12, as well as 1 Kings 1 through 2, we read about Bathsheba. The story that depicts the carnality and deceit of King David also offers us hope that God can turn around some of the most wretched of circumstances. King David forces Bathsheba to be with him. Again, you read that story in a modern context, we think, oh wow, she's cheating on her husband. But then you come to understand, oh, that's King David. Her husband was a soldier for King David. When King David had his servants go down there and fetch that woman, there wasn't, hey, do you want to come upstairs and spend some time with King David? That wasn't what happened. It was, go down there and tell that woman she must come up here to me, the king. And this woman ended up having to go and be with King David. King David forces Bathsheba to be with him through murder and deceit. He ends up having her husband killed. She, you know, This whole thing gets set into motion, a horrible story. Bathsheba's response was to bear responsibility and loyalty toward King David and her son, Solomon. She ends up having a fierce loyalty, even defends him against Adonijah when he seeks to take over his reign. You remember there was the feud between King David's sons. Who was going to take the reign? Bathsheba actually plays a very prominent role in making sure her son is the next destined ruler. Her wisdom and proactiveness ensured his rule. In Psalm chapter 51, verse 1, the, the text says, O oh man, why do you boast in evil? The loving kindness of the Lord endures forever. 
And when I think about the story of King David and Bathsheba and all the events that were set into motion through that story, I think about King David, and I, would, I, would, I believe this passage here that was written by King David speaks to him. Why do you boast in evil? Why are you trying to do evil things? Go and fetching married women and, and doing all of these details. He knew the loving kindness of God. King David knew it. However, it was going to take the work of a woman that was going to fix those details in the history. That's important. Then we read in the New Testament, as we open up our New Testament, we read about Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. Elizabeth was barren. However, was given good news that she would conceive by the grace of God. They were both in good standing with God, which is an important part of that text. See, they were righteous. This is noted in Luke chapter 1, verse 6, which means that they needed to see a move of God because she was barren, but they were ready. They put themselves in the right standing. That's what righteousness would be. They were in right standing with God. There's a message, message there for each and every one of us. When we want to see a move of God, we must ask ourselves, are we putting ourselves in the right position to see a move of God? And again, the Jews were waiting for their Messiah for time after time. You know, the mystery of the ages was when will the Messiah be revealed? And sure enough, by the faith of Elizabeth and her husband, we're going to see that they were ready and they initiated that move of God, that John the Baptist would be the forebearer to the Messiah. So again, simply by having a good standing with God, Elizabeth and Zechariah opened themselves up for a mighty move of God. That was in contrast to the rest of their generation. Again, if you, you know the generation in the first century, in their time, these people had squandered the truth of God. They had gone over to idolatry. What God had given them wasn't enough, and they began to build their own version of their religion. They began to have what they would call traditions of men. Yet, Elizabeth was one of those who was in good standing, was still trying to observe the truth of God. Surely each and every one of us can see the need for being in right standing with God in our current culture to see a move of God. Then we get to Mary, the mother of Jesus. I spend so much time doctrinally having to speak against deifying and magnifying Mary that it's a beautiful thing to be able to stand on Mother's Day and say, I want to talk good about Mary and I do want to magnify her and lift her up to a proper setting. Because, again, in Protestant church, sometimes, you know, we... We notice our Catholic counterpart and the confusion with Mary and all of those details that we sometimes, it seems to me at least, that we sometimes debase Mary. And we, we find ourselves not talking about how beautiful, how amazing of a vessel that she served. Again, this was a woman that was faithful to God. She, you know, you want, I want to magnify her. Scripture magnifies her. So we see very clearly that she had this unmerited favor. Again, there wasn't something that was earned. I don't believe she was blessed because she earned it. But I do believe she was blessed because she opened herself up for it, right? That right standing, being in right standing with God. I don't believe you can earn God's favor this morning, but I do believe you could put yourself into a good position where God could actually move in your life. Scripture makes it very clear that if we're not in good standing, if we're not offering up our prayer, that if we're not offering up prayer in the right manner, that we won't see the answers. And we see here with the story of Elizabeth and Mary right in the beginning of our New Testament that they were ready for a move of God. They put themselves in the right position for a move of God. Mary was called and willing, was called to be a willing vessel. And through the gospel, she became that vessel, a vessel of truth for each and every one of us. She blessed our generation. Think about that for a moment. If we can put ourselves in good position with God to bless our generation or bless generation 2,000 years from now, are we putting ourselves in that position? 
There's something to learn from that right there. That Mary put herself in a good position. She, she made herself right with God. She was willing to be a vessel. She was faithful, in the, faithful to God that she was allowed to be a blessing for 2,000 years. That we're still praising God for what he did through Elizabeth and Mary. How can we do that? How can we build ourselves up now to be a blessing 2,000 years from now? That should be the number one thing we think about. When we examine mothers in Scripture, there's so much for us to see of how they allowed a move of God through their calling. In each and every one of us, through our callings, we can find that. And it's important because we're mothering a generation, to use that phrase. That's our role. What strength and obedience Mary displays through the gospel is surely an exhortation to each and every one of us. Again, I, this morning as I contemplated the life of Mary, I was just sitting there thinking that Mary went through so much to birth a child into this world, to bring this child up, to know that he had a special calling on his life that I imagine was beyond understanding. Again, your child disappears at 12. He's in the temple talking about his father's business. Um, you know, again, 30, what? 20-something years later, she finds now all of a sudden he's hunted down by the authorities. He's a heretic. And, uh, wow, I thought about my mom for a moment. So, um, you, know, uh, you know, he's a heretic and he um, has, you know, all these, these things coming against him. And how hard it would have been to be a mother to watch that happen to your child. And yet she remained faithful. She's there, even as you see him on the cross. Jesus, right there. My, these are my brothers. This is my mother. Again, there's so, so much significance to what these mothers opened themselves up to and allowed for us to celebrate, even in our time. I'm sure that each and every one of you, whether mothers or not, male or female, found significance in some of those details that I just mentioned. You should. And if you didn't, hopefully I've mentioned the passages. You'll go home and pray and read through those passages and find significance for your life. As I studied through these details, what I realized is that each of these characteristics are needed to gather God's people together. We've been talking about that corporate body. This is an interesting interlude in our corporate body because what we're seeing is that the individual plays a part in the corporate body. So when we talk about mothers, that's a member of the body of Christ. So we talk about this because each and every one of us plays a part in allowing that mother to walk worthy of her calling. That's the call of a body that we are interrelated or all interconnected in our walks, our callings, that just because you're called to one thing doesn't, and I'm called to another doesn't mean that we're not related in our walk. What it, a couple weeks ago when we were talking about the body, remember the passage where it said, let all things be done for the edification of the body. That's the goal of each and every one of our walks. So the mothers that are amongst us, the mothers in our culture, they have a calling in the body of Christ. The fathers have a calling in the body of Christ. We all, each and every one of us, have a calling in the body of Christ that is not just my own calling. It's a calling that is connected to each and every one of you. I can promise you that I know my calling has been made complete by the blessing of each and every one of you. And I can imagine how much more should we, on a day like today, be thinking about the mothers of our culture and how we can enhance their walk and build up their calling. A text that is bound to come up in churches all over the United States this morning is Proverbs chapter 31. Surely a benediction each mother here wants is found in the text, and it says, She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also praises her. The text there, when it talks about um, she, she looks to the ways of her household, that she guards the ways of her household, the text literally means to hedge about with thorns. 
to guard your home, to make sure that intruders can't get out and that, you know, again, if there were sheep inside that little pen, that they won't want to wander because the thorns are there to kind of warn them not to go out. That's watching over your children. That's a mother's job, to watch over her children. A couple of weeks ago, as we went through the details, I mentioned that we are called to all be edifying the body, each and every one of our callings. And surely learning from the examples of mothers that have gone before us is a valuable characteristic. The submissiveness and the trials of faith that are shown through the life of Sarah, I imagine sounds familiar to many of us. May we be a people of faith who will put trust in the providence and plans of God like Moses' mother, Jochebed, and pour ourselves out to God in prayer and dedication like Hannah, Samuel's mother. If you find yourself in a bad situation, Sometimes we find ourselves there, and it seems hopeless. Everything in your life seems to be broken and wretched. You could look to the story of David and Bathsheba, and trust me, hopefully, that story looks a lot worse than your current circumstances, and you can say, God will turn this situation around. That's God. That's the God we serve, a God that turns wretched situations around. In the New Testament, we talked about two mothers who displayed the necessary characteristics to see God at work in their generation. Both of those mothers were used by God due to their willingness and openness to honor God and worship him in spirit and in truth, which again is the righteousness of our generation. If you want to be righteous, seek the way that you are called to worship God in spirit and in truth. And I'll just tell you all the answer this morning. It's Jesus. Be found in Jesus Christ and you will be found righteous. And then you open yourself up for a move of God. That's the righteousness that we can have in our generation. I look to that story of Elizabeth and Zechariah, and in Luke chapter 1, verse 6, it says that they were righteous. And then I read the rest of that story, and if I want those events that I see at the rest of the story, the good things that they get this child, they're blessed. If I want that, I know that I need to have the Luke 1, 6 part, the righteousness part. I want to be in right standing with God. The way that we find ourselves in right standing is to be sure that we are part of the body of Christ. We've been talking about that body for weeks. That's where we want to be. That's the glorious body of Jesus Christ. And we all have a part in it. We need to be a people of faith. We need to learn from these mothers in Scripture. We need to spend our time figuring out how do we birth a generation that sees a move of God. Because that's what people are praying for. If you talk to our contemporary culture, they want to see God move. And the only place I see God move is through walking worthy. And yes, it is highlighted through the mothers in Scripture. Those characteristics are found there of what we need to do to see a move of God in our generation. God himself displays these traits to his people. If you study through Scripture, God shows himself to be a mother, which highlights, I know that sounds strange, and I'm going to clarify, which highlights how important motherly characteristics are. So in ending my sermon this morning, I'm going to share with you some passages that are going to show you this gathering trait of God, how God gathers his people and guards them like a mother does, and how that glorifies God, that we can see how our role in that body to gather God's people, how we can see those details so clearly through scripture. The first passage I'm going to start with is Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 11. Here we read the song of Moses and talking about God's faithfulness to Israel and what God was going to do in later times through Israel. And we read here in verse 11, it says, Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that hovers over its young, he spread his wings and caught them 
and he carried them on his pinions. Again, this is talking about him bringing them out of that exodus and into the glorious promised land and how God had worked as, again, a mother would guard her home and gather her children. God did that. He hovered over them like a, a mother eagle would hover over her children. Going into the book of Psalms, here we read David's plea with his generation and, and all the details that God was doing in that generation. Psalm chapter 36, verse 7. It says, How precious is your loving kindness, O God, and the children of men that take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Again, you see there that mother eagle um, hovering over her young and guarding them in her wings. Psalm chapter 81, verses 8 through 11. Hear, O my people, and I will admonish you, O Israel, if you would listen to me. Let there be no strange God among you, nor shall you worship any foreign God. I am the Lord your God, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice, and Israel did not obey me. And again, this is just like the child that chooses not to listen to his mother. What happens? And we see this story literally played out through Israel, right? They God gives them a law. He tells them, this is what you're supposed to do. Follow this example. And they decide to wander away from it. They go over to idolatry. And they find themselves sort of like a child that doesn't listen to their mother and uh, finds themselves in the situation they may. You know, I'm sure each and every one of us have had those moments in our lives. Uh, moving into Psalm chapter 91, verse 4. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark. Again, God hovering, gathering his people. In Proverbs chapter 1, we read Solomon talking about this wisdom, this, this motherly characteristic of gathering God's people. Here in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 24 through 31, it says, Because I called you and you refused, I stretched out my hand and no one paid attention, and you neglected all my counsel and did not want my reproof. I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock you when your dread comes. When your dread comes like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. Then they will seek me diligently, but they will not find me, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned all my reproof, so they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be satisfied with their own devices. Again, I, I imagine for the mothers that are here, You've probably had a moment where your children have not listened to you, and you may have had to do what we call tough love in our culture. A tough love. There's your text for tough love right there. God says, well, I, I've given you the way. I've told you the way. You've chosen to go your own way. Okay, well, then now you're going to suffer the regret of going your own way. That's unfortunate. You're going to reap what you sow. Again, I know my mother. I've had plenty of opportunity in my life for my mother to tell me that. So those words sounded very clear to me um, in regards to my mom saying, well, here you are. This, this is, you made your bed, now lie in it. And unfortunately, there's a precedent for that in Scripture. We see that in God. Again, if you're a mother and you, maybe you've doubted, should I have a tough love? There's very clearly a precedent in Scripture to have that type of love where God says, you've chose to eat your own fruit. You, know, you chose to do it your way. Then you're going to reap that. Hosea chapter 11, we read about how Israel did that. The northern tribes of Israel, they wandered. They went over to idolatry. And God tells them, I've, I've tried to guide you. I've tried to give you wise counsel. And you didn't. You didn't listen. And as you follow that story through the scriptures, again, you can read in Jeremiah. I'm just going to give you a couple passages this morning. Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 14. Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 8. Jeremiah chapter 11, verses 7 through 8. 
Zechariah chapter 1, verse 4. And then I want to move us into the New Testament to end my sermon this morning. In Matthew chapter 23, this was really where my, my heart for this message came from, was as I thought about what we've been talking about with the corporate body and how God gathers his people together in one body and how that was the purpose of the ages. And in moving out of our end times conference that we had last year, and we talk a lot about this one body, the glorious body, and you hear me talk about the whole goal of God through the, the end times and all of that was to gather his people into one glorious body, I felt that I needed to make that clear through the scriptures, that the goal of the entire Bible, the story that you read through your Bible, is the story of how God, in a, almost a motherly sense, gave correction to his children, told them this is what you're going to do if you want to live successfully, you want to live in a way that you will feel blessed, this is what you must do. And they failed to do it, they wandered away, And the story of God is that how God was going to bring those people back into good standing with him, right? Sort of like the mother who tells her child, you do this, you know, you listen to my rules or you're going to find yourself in prison. I'm going to use myself as an example this morning. Um, you, You know, you listen to my rules or you listen to the wisdom I give you or you'll find yourself eating the fruit of your own making, right? So then I go through that. But then there came a time where hopefully that mother will turn around and say, okay, are you done? You had enough of your own ways, reaping your own reward? Are you ready to start listening to correction? And I want you to hear what Jesus says to that wicked generation in the first century and what he was really pointing to building up that glorious body. Here in Matthew chapter 23, I'm just going to read two passages out of here. Verse 30, Jesus says, And say, If we have been living in the days of our fathers we would not have been partakers with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So, again, what Jesus points out here is these, this wicked generation is now saying, well, no, wait, if we were living back then, I w- we wouldn't have made those mistakes that our forefathers made. Right? They, they didn't listen to you. Again, which is you know, how often people would say, if I was living back then, I wouldn't have done this. What Jesus goes on to prove is that, oh, well, you're saying that those are your fathers. You are of those people. And then he goes on to say this in verse 37. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, just in case you weren't sure who he was talking about. There, there's your first point. Who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her? How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. You see, God, throughout the entire story of the Bible, operated in this faithful, motherly characteristic that I started this message out with. He covered his people, he gave them direction, and he wanted to hedge about their house, so to speak, with thorns. He wanted to keep them together, keep them strong, put them on the way of success. I imagine every mother in our culture, when she brings a child into this world, wants to set their child on a good path. However, what we see through the story is the child wanders. Again, something that's not very far or very clear from each and every one of us. And what God says, though, what really stands out is that He sought to gather them together the entire time. He was always there, always willing to bring them back into better standing with him. But they refused. And then the story of your Bible is how that generation, that wicked generation in the first century that identified with Jerusalem, how they came under judgment. And God established a glorious new reality for his people that wouldn't be identified by a physical temple, that wouldn't be under a law, that would not be under a body of death, so to speak but instead would be in the body of life, the body of Jesus Christ here today where there's life, a body where there's liberty, not law, a body where we don't have to worry about dying and being separated from God, where we can have life eternally with God. That was the hope of the ages, and it is all exemplified through the story of God and his motherly characteristic of wanting to gather his people 
together. So in conclusion, as we go about celebrating Mother's Day, let us see the significance of this day and of the calling of motherhood. We see it identified even by our God. Mothers raise up, become a generation that is dedicated to edifying the body, raising up and gathering your children in a true expression of how God does this. Again, through prayer, through faith, through all the things that we see, through all those mothers that are mentioned in Scripture. Happy Mother's Day. All right, we'll end in a hymn this morning.